Fizzle dizzle, all over the shizzle, fizzle dizzle. <laughs> That it's true though, isn't it? It does. Definitely 100% the intro. <laughs> Rizzle, dizzle, for shizzle, all over the pizzle, nizzle. <laughs> like... The reason it works is that Snoop's voice is like that 100% yeah, of the time. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Too Much Time on Our Hands podcast. We are back for the second episode this week. As ever, it's the classic threesome in the fuck bunker and we're joined by our Scottish contingent, Duncan, up in the kinky kitchen. Duncan, how are you? All right, all right. Well, recovering from a cold because I obviously picked up something dirty from the last time I was in the fuck bunker with you all you boys. To be fair, it's, I mean, we are recording this on Monday night and it is, I mean, hot as balls in here. It's like 31 degrees. fluids in here. Oh, a miasma. Very nice. Beautiful, liked it. Dude, someone's been reading their word of the day calendar. (laughs) (laughs) It's probably one of these books. Yes. What's this one? Plugs Through the Ages by Ross McGowan. (laughs) Can Can you not tell what books are by looking at them? Whatever. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and it's the and it's the classic threesome in the fuck bunker. To my right, uh, to my uh, left is <laughs> to my fuck. Okay, to okay. It does not matter what order you do, or even if you point at the right yeah. person. No uh, yeah, and the classic. That's the point. No one's gonna know. In your uh, head, is this on TV? <laughs> yeah, I'm on TV. This is my big fucking break. Damn it. Okay, and it's the classic threesome in the fuck bunker. To my right is Dan, and to my left is Russ, and I'm in the middle, Tom. Hello, it's great. Anyway, this is a very special one. We are... So there was a throwaway comment that I made uh, during our searching questions where uh, Russ asked the question, if you could take one thing back to the 1950s... Why the 50s? I don't know. Maybe I just feel at home there. If there was one thing you could take back to the 1950s, uh, what would it be? And I said, uh, an amazing book that got turned into a film and then when they said well what I said for some reason the novelization of Basic Instinct (laughs) not sure why even now but that kind of spurred us so what we're going to do is we've all picked a film that we sort of vaguely remember and we've tried to write out a kind of a brief thousand words or so kind of pricey of mm. of that book we've we specifically gone for films that we only vaguely remember so you won't from hear, the 90s yeah you won't hear like star wars here or no. something like that so. no yeah sorry yeah that's no no that's fine yeah. so i mean shall I, shall I shall i kick it off i mean i want you to yes because i want to hear this so badly because i want to hear about the sofas tom and let's okay. know about the sofas in basic instinct okay so oh spoiler sorry <laughs> <laughs> okay so this is this is my thousand words or so recapping of basic instinct i can't wait okay so basic instinct yeah as, <laughs> as remembered by tom roberts yeah <laughs> it's a hot la night like rainforest sweaty hot Got, gotta stop you right there isn't it set in san francisco <laughs> <laughs> okay so i'm falling <laughs> at the first hurdle here okay and two people are making sweet love on a bed there might be a sofa there too it's dark <laughs> and sexy lighting in here it's really passionate sex lots of moaning and stuff the lady arches her back really getting into it then reaches under a sheet and pulls out what looks like a kebab skewer or a long pencil <laughs> wait no it's an ice pick what an intriguing thing to have in the bedroom why does she need an ice pick oh she's stabbing the dude in the face and chest a lot that's not very nice but the tone of the movie is set and the tone is dark and sexy Nice. Later on, some cops are standing around the dead body working the scene. Excuse me, sir, would you mind getting up and putting some clothes on, please, says a cop to the corpse. The corpse says nothing. Sir, could you please wake up? 
The cop is getting irritated, but the corpse just lays there defiantly. Oh, a tight-lipped son of a bitch, eh? Says the cop, red-faced and rolling up his sleeves as if he's going to punch the corpse. I'll teach you some manners, you dead motherfucker. The cop climbs onto the bed and is about to wail on the corpse when Michael Douglas cop walks in, shrouded in overexposed sunlight. (laughs) Stop! (laughs) Shouts Michael Douglas cop. He's dead. He's been stabbed in the face a lot. Control your basic instinct. Nice reference. Nice reference, says the cop. And thanks, Michael Douglas cop. I don't know what came over me. The corpse was stonewalling me and I snapped. Hey, it's what I do. Wait, this murder looks like one I read about in a softcore porn novella. We'd better get the author in because she probably did it. Good good thinking, Michael Douglas cop. I'm on it. And the other cop runs off after a brief moment of staring in awe at Michael Douglas cop. Okay, so Catherine Stone. I think it's Catherine. Is dressed in white, sat on a chair in front of several cops, including Michael Douglas cop. Why'd you stab him, Miss Stone? Hmm. Stabbing is such a cliche, don't you think, Detective Douglas cop, says Miss Stone. I'm not a fan of cliche, Miss Stone. I like other things more. Like flanges? Yep. Flanges are great, Miss Stone. (laughs) I agree. (laughs) Yep. Flanges flanges are great, Miss Stone, says Michael Douglas cop. I agree, but don't you find that they slip out at the most unfortunate moments? They have such a basic instinct, don't you agree? (laughs) Nice reference, says Michael Douglas Cop. And I wouldn't know about that. He stops halfway through his sentence. Miss Stone's flange is poking out the bottom of her dress. (laughs) Everyone can see it. And even the guy who played Dennis Nedry in Jurassic Park is there. (laughs) Then she crosses her legs, popping her flange back in its box. And everyone... Everyone leaves the room, suddenly ending the interview. They've got what they needed, and they're totally going to solve this case. (laughs) At some point in the plot, Michael Douglas Cop goes to Catherine's house, where she's seen kissing a woman, because lesbian kissing is so 90s, and she chops up ice with an ice pick, which deepens everyone's suspicions about her, but Michael Douglas Cop doesn't act on them. It's a missed opportunity for the course of justice, but a great moment of plot thickening. (laughs) Later on, or maybe before that bit (laughs) I just read... Michael Douglas Cop was really horny about something and ran all the way home like he'd found a golden ticket to Willy Wonka's factory. His girlfriend was there. She turned around and said hi. Then Michael Douglas Cop kisses her by the sofas. This is the bit, right? There were were two sofas, big leather sofas, that must have been hard to afford for a cop, but he bought them anyway because he gives in to his basic instinct for leather upholstery. Nice reference, Tom. Nice reference, thanks. Yeah. He throws her over the very nice couches and pops her boobs out, then pulls off his clothes and does sex to her. It's fast. <laughs> Three pumps and done. Wow, you really let your basic instinct take over, Michael Douglas Cop, says his girlfriend. Nice reference. Nice reference. <laughs> and yeah, I'm letting my penis do the talking these days. I can't help myself. Well done, Michael, she says. His girlfriend was sort of happy looking, maybe a bit disappointed, but Michael Douglas Cop has a stressful job and nice couches, so leave him be. Oh, and the subtext is that he's falling in love with Catherine Stone and did it to his girlfriend like he wanted to do it to Catherine Stone on the couch. Okay, so let's move on. Okay. Uh, Later on, Michael Douglas Cop is getting dressed and decides the best way to look younger is to put on a blue V-neck sweater and go to a nightclub. Not sure why. (laughs) He looks a bit too old and finds Catherine Stone dancing with another woman and taking coke in the bathroom. He wanders around looking really out of place because he's 50 in a trendy nightclub. <laughs> hey, Michael, is me getting my boobs touched by another woman and taking coke riling up your basic instincts, said Catherine. Nice reference. And yes, I've got a bonk on that only a potential ice pick murderer can sort out, he replied. 
sexy, she shouts over the music in the club because I just remembered that clubs are loud. So this whole conversation was probably shouted quite loudly during the film that will be made from this. They start making out and fondling each other. And then all of a sudden they're naked in a bed doing it and they are really going for it. It's going really well for everyone involved. But she gets on top of him and begins to arch her back like the murderer at the beginning of the film. She begins to reach under the sheet. So she pulled something out. Oh, God, it looks like it's been slammed down on his head with her hand. Oh, God. Michael Douglas cop. Oh, oh no, wait. No, he's fine. They just came very hard on top of each other. And they're kissing. And that's that done with. Thank God we nearly lost Michael Douglas cop. <laughs> the next day, the cops decide that the murder was so long ago, it's probably not worth committing any more resources to researching. Uh, sorry, uh, Solving it, the money's clearly better spent on an incredibly modern police precinct and sofas. Anyway, Catherine Stone probably did it, but she's banging Michael Douglas cop now, so it's all moot. Uh, she's, he's going to protect her, but he's also going to go back to his girlfriend, I assume, because that usually happens at the end of these films. His sexy journey with Catherine Stone was amazing and revealing, but it's time to call it a day and agree that she's a wrong one. Well, I'm glad we're back together, my girlfriend, says Michael Douglas cop to his girlfriend. Me too. And now you're back. Maybe I can say your basic instincts, she says with a knowing smile. <laughs> nice reference. And you read my mind. Now get them out. I've got a few pumps in me, love. <laughs> as, we, as we draw the story to a close, we see Catherine making a drink with an ice pick, laughing evilly at the camera. She's gotten away with it all thanks to her manipulation of the most basic of instincts. I mean, nice I guess, reference, Tom. But thanks, man. I, I mean, I guess we all learn something about our most basic instincts here, right? Yeah, you really did. Oh. The end. Well, I think if it's not the same as the film, I think it might be better. Mm. To be fair, there we go. That's that's what I remembered from Basic Instinct. Uh, Doesn't excellent. Michael Douglas cop kill the woman that he's dating? I think so. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> uh, yes, he kills the psychiatrist. He shoots her. Yeah. Oh, she's a psychiatrist. Oh, yeah. He thinks okay. she's oh. going to go for. Yeah, she, he's. She's Duncan, being. Duncan Whitting straight uh, to his encyclopedic knowledge of this film. No, he he looked it up. Uh, he, he said, "Yeah, I, I said it up on his VHS copy." Yes, I looked it up many a time. That's awesome. Tom. I, I forgot that Dennis Nedry is in there. I forgot Dennis Nedry is in, in my there. head. That is Dennis Nedry. Yeah, yeah. Like he every was, time I see him, it's like oh, he was consulting he as a, a programmer for yeah. the oh, San so Francisco Police Department. He did survive. He yeah. got out. That dinosaur just tickled him. Before or after? I want to say oh before. My God. Is this going to be the before. no after? It's got to be the after. stories of Dennis Nedry. No, it's before. This it's might, ninety-two. This Nedry might... files. Okay. <laughs> Duncan again. Straight in there. Ninety-two. This might yeah, lead straight into what 93. Dennis Nedry did next. Then Should I've we... got well, what he did next yeah. was go and work on Dinosaur Island. Exactly. Yeah. So, it's so that just, was what I remembered. Part of the, I the Nedry it, trilogy. It was br- that's that's pretty much what I remembered as well. Yeah. Well, I remembered the same parts that you did in in. Detail. Yeah. Yeah. And I got to Glad use the word clarified flanges. the sofa bit. Yeah, yeah. well, that's, that's, that's yeah. what I remembered. That, that was the bit I remembered. There were sofas when no, he does, does his girlfriend over the sofa. Mm. I should. I don't want to watch it, though. No, it would just it, ruin it. That's rubbish. Yeah, <laughs> piece of shit. Mine is I think much, your version is definitely yeah, better. Far more altered. I'd watch it now, and I'd think, oh, Tom would do a better job of this. You don't really get erotic thrillers these days, do you? No, no. that was a really 90s thing, wasn't it? Yeah. Like, like think of all wild the things was probably not what was it called wild creatures. What's it called? Wild things. Yeah, wild things. <laughs> well, what's it called? Oh, I don't. I don't, know. Oh, I don't, I don't know. Oh, yeah. I think the covers were in French. Sex crimes. <laughs> yeah. Sex crimes. Yeah. Think of that's think, probably the last sort of yeah. Pro, like not not deliberately just being porn. Think of all the um, the Shannon Tweed films we had in the nineties mm. as well. Oh, like the mirrors, mirror images. Yeah. I think was like yeah. Channel 5's output for the first ten years yeah. of its existence. Oh, superb. 
<laughs> like the Red Shoe Diaries, which yeah. like inexplicably had Fox Mulder in it. But they, like Channel Five, it did start getting to the point where like the announcers were like, "Yep, this is a wanking one." <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right, lads, get your get your Kleenexes out. Yeah. Probably set the skip the first hour or so of this and set the VHS to cook in at about ten fifteen. Just, just you know, she did it. Uh, it doesn't really matter about the plot. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, this is all about the titties. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, that was a good segue from uh, one film that obviously has Dennis Nedry in it to another film that actually had Dennis Nedry in it. Duncan, why don't you, you know, go next? All right. Jurassic so this is me trying to remember Jurassic Park. Dan was so convinced that I would nail this. I know I haven't. I thought everyone knew uh, back Jurassic Park back to front. That was my, that was my thing. But Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so prologue. Somewhere in a ramshackled mine in Puerto Rico or Costa Rica or some South American, <laughs> Latin American country during a paleontology dig, a piece of amber is found. When held up to the light, it clearly contains a perfectly preserved mosquito. This piece of amber was found in a layer from the Jurassic period. The amber is taken to some laboratories where amazing science from the 1990s happens and DNA from all the dinosaurs ever, even, ever, even the Cretaceous period is all extracted. All the dinosaurs ever, even, ever. <laughs> even ever the, from the Cretaceous period is extracted, maybe by Jeff Goldblum. There <laughs> may be something to do with using lizard or crocodile eggs, what but they should that? have Sorry, used chickens or rears. Maybe by Jeff Goldblum. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> extracted by Jeff. I've got Jeff Goldblum in this quite a lot, funny enough. Main story, is, fast uh, forward a number company. of years, and Sam Neill, whose character is probably loosely based on fossil and dino fanatics, so David Attenborough, praise be to him for all he says is truth, and he is one with the world. And Laura Dern, both eminent paleontologists, get invited by Sir Dickie Attenborough to... <laughs> Sorry, to the dinosaur theme park island he has created for a preview tour as well as to make sure everything is safe as one of the park workers was killed by a velociraptor a scene we see as a crate is brought in in the rain prior to everyone arriving jeff goldblum is there as well either as some weird maths guy molecular biologist or as most likely the case the eye candy for all the mums who had to bring their dinosaur obsessed children to see the dinosaur <laughs> film <laughs> So, so our introduction is Sam, Laura and Jeff in a helicopter arriving at the theme park and being greeted by Dickie. At this point, Sam and Laura are in khaki uh, coloured clothing as one would wear whilst outdoors or on fieldwork. Jeff is looking cool in a black shirt and definitely a leather jacket. Dickie is in a pale linen suit and a wonderful hat. He greets them and says, welcome to Jurassic Park. He then gives them the background to his idea and they take the monorail to the main visitor centre where they are joined by Dickie's grandchildren, a girl and her younger brother. I'm, I'm going to have to cut in there. It's not a monorail. They I take, know. They take but... a 4 by 4 Monorail's in Jurassic World. Oh, shut up. Uh, yeah, no, it's fine. I, I know I've got this. I, I do get to the Jeeps. I know that they're electric Jeeps, but when Don't I was racing we'll this, I've got this. <laughs> anyway, the Jeeps they are electric. very... The electric cars are Ford Explorers, I think. They're Range Rovers. Yeah, Ford Explorers. No, no, they're, they're Ford Explorers. They're, 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 but the Ford Jeeps, Rangers the Jeeps are Ford Explorers. They are very the, the excited. Ones, they are in... the green mm -hmm. I'm sorry, man. <laughs> yeah. This, the, 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 if you keep on trapping, this is just going <laughs> to take longer. Um, they are introduced to some of the team, including the security and main support team, who lost someone to the Velociraptors. These oh. are in the park uniform of appropriate outdoor tough-looking gear, and they have the stern looks to match. And they're... And they meet the stereo, uh, stereotype IT guy who wears glasses and is a bit on the dumpy side. He also looks well shifty, a bit like an intelligent but shifty looking Peter Griffin if you watch Family Guy. Dickie's lawyer joins them for the tour. They go and see the Velociraptors. Note these were alive during the Cretaceous period. 
one of my main issues. Um, first being fed, and it is pretty gruesome as a live cow is lowered into the pen. They are then offered a tour of the park, but have to go through the gate and a high electric fence that keeps a T-Rex, none of the Denison or the Cretaceous. Um, they get into some buggies, <laughs> buggies, <laughs> this is buggies, but I know it's the, the, the Ford Rangers, for the tour and off they go. They see some herds of big herbivorous dinos and stop the buggies for a climb. <laughs> this is totally wrong, but anyway, it should be noted at this point, Jeff still has his shirt done up. Sam and Laura and the two children, I realised Laura wasn't there for this, but anyway, and the two children climb the tree and a brontosaurus, an actual denizen of the Jurassic, or a brachiosaur, also actually from uh, the Jurassic period, comes close enough for a stroke. The girl is scared, but reaches out and touches the giant reptile. Uh, oh, hang on, I've just lost my place. Where are we? Uh, before it's needed on her and she gets covered in gunk. A lesson to be learned for her future life. Uh, they then continue the tour and come across two park keepers looking after a poorly triceratops, another Cretaceous species. Sam gets out for a hug. As it turns out, it is his favourite dino. Note, I think this might also be Sir Davier's fave. Uh, Laura volunteers to stay behind to look after the diner and Sam and the kids continue back towards the main visitor centre just as the weather starts to go from sun to rain or a tropical storm and the day starts to draw to a close. Meanwhile, the dastardly IT guy, let's call him Darren, as many an IT guy, uh, guy called Darren are a bit um, creepy, freezes the computer control system, system and causes a power outage after stealing some of the di uh, dino embryos to go and sell it sell uh, on the black market to uh, the ro a rival company. He scampers off into the rain into a parked vehicle. Whilst driving to try and escape, he loses control of the vehicle and careers off the road into the woods where he gets a bit stuck. The frilled uh, Dilophosaurus, actually an early Jurassic species, is inquisitive and comes to have a look. Seeing a tasty potential dinner but not really that interested, Darren pisses it off enough that it spits venom. There are some mm -hmm. lizards that can and gets and he, uh, Darren gets uh, eaten. Uh, well, the dinosaur gets busy eating the tubby IT guy. Meanwhile, everything has gone to shit, <laughs> and they know they need to escape. <laughs> Being chased by the T-Rex, Sam and the kids make it to the electric fence, climb over it, but the boy is scared to climb down. Now, a lightning strike on the fence or a sudden power surge sends the boy flying, though he survives miraculously. They make their move to a jeep and get in. I know it's uh, arranged, but let's just let me call it a jeep. During the climb, Jeff has hurt himself or sprayed an ankle or something. The radio is working. They speak with Dickie. He says they need to make it to the helicopter pad near the visitor centre. During this, Jeff explains about vibrations and distance and what you can tell from a cup of water. <laughs> All of a sudden, the cups are show vibrations in the water. The T-Rex appears. The kids try and keep still as apparently the T-Rex is a visual predator. The lone makes a sleep move and runs to hide in the toilets. T-Rex notices this and knocks the roof off the toilet block where the sight of the suited lawyer literally shitting is seen. <laughs> he is frozen with fear as the T-Rex uh, with fear. Has the T-Rex seen, seen him? Oh yes it has and promptly gobbles him up. The T-Rex then turns its attention to the Jeep but they make a run for it. The T-Rex chases the uh, the jeep, jeep outruns it, but somehow, she, uh, but then gets stuck. T-Rex turns up and has to go at uh, go the jeep with the girl trapped and screaming. But somehow she manages to escape with Sam, with Sam Neil causing a distraction. They make their way to the main control and visitor center where they learn about needing to get the power back on uh, to be able to escape. Uh, Laura goes with the original team uh, to try and get this uh, the power turned on. Uh, the children, for some reason, get separated from the group, maybe going off exploring. What's going to flip the power on, uh, Laura dis uh, discovers what happens to the others. They were eaten! 
an arm flops down onto her and she screams. Soon it is clear the raptors are loose. Uh, Laura manages to get the power back on Dickie and Sam, guiding her, and then she flees, chased by raptors. Meanwhile, <laughs> Jeff is somehow helping by lying back with his shirt open. <laughs> obviously providing advice and help. The children are separated from the group and suddenly hunted by raptors. They go and hide in the kitchen inside a cabinet but knock a pan somewhere which attracts the raptors who hunt in packs. The boy manages to distract the raptors and they flee the kitchen, apparently trapping them in. By this point, the power is back on and Dickie and Jeff are making their way to the... Uh, well, I put the monorail, but to the helicopter. Sam and Laura look for the children and soon they meet up only to all be hunted by raptors. Jumping onto the large T-Rex skeleton to escape, Sam has to encourage the last to jump to safety. In the end, all looks lost as the four are surrounded by the raptors. One of them leaps onto the uh, leaps onto the skeleton only to be snatched out of the air by the rampaging T-Rex who is looking for a tasty snack. We end with them making the helicopter as daylight returns and Jeff has his shirt open Dicky is weeping. The end. Amazing. Yeah, it felt like you missed a good chunk at the end there. But yeah. oh, my, mine, mine does something similar and I realised that I was very near the word limit about halfway through. Yeah, well, mine does something similar in the, when I remember I don't remember anything about the film I've covered. So, uh, <laughs> but yeah. It's a, yeah, yeah, I know. Okay, so I missed the bit where it's the T-Rex uh, roaring with the banner di- when dinosaurs ruled the world. Yeah. Uh, falling down, but this was already thir- over thirteen hundred words long. So, yeah, that, that's mine. Then don't worry about it. Oh, I like that. That's good, man. I nice. like it. Right, who's next? Don't know. Russ or Dan? Mm. Don't, okay. don't mind. Don't mind. Dan can. Dan, do you want to go? Go on, then. So I've done the Fugitive, which is a film nice. I went to see at the cinema when I was very young, and I don't think I've seen it since. Perfect. Yeah. Okay. So this one, Oscars, I believe, probably. It's got some very impressive CGI I seem to remember in it. Okay, so I'm going to start by saying I don't remember any of their names. So uh, Dr. Harrison Ford is coming home after a late night at hospital to have dinner with his <laughs> wife, <laughs> who is a really 90s actor. So Diane Bye, Ke- love. I'm just off to do some hospital. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> who is a really 90s actor. So Diane Keaton? I don't know. Uh, anyway, he walks in to find his wife laying dead, having been hit in the head with a snow globe, I think. On the... On, uh, on the floor and a man escaping who only has one arm. The police don't believe it's a man with one arm. So when they turn up, they arrest Dr. Ford, believing him to be guilty. Dr. Harrison Ford has day in court and stresses that it was the one-armed man that killed his wife, but with no evidence suggesting it might not be him, and with the motive that they had a fight, no one believes him. At this point, Harrison Ford grows a beard and is taken away to be put on death row for the murder of Diane Keaton, or is it Gina Davis? Maybe Susan Sarandon? I don't know. Uh, Dr. Ford is put on a bus, which crashes into a train, all I remember is the impressive CGI, and just escapes, just about escapes, saving one of the guards in the process, proving he's actually a good guy. Dr. Ford is then on the run, binded by handcuffs, running for his life, and to avenge his wife's murder. On the, on the run, it becomes a manhunt. On the run, sorry. Then it becomes a manhunt, and a US Marshal, Officer Tommy Lee Jones, is called in to track him <laughs> down. Tommy Lee addresses the other marshals at the scene and the crash, and saying that he has to been on a run for a while, and they need to chase him down. We need to search every gas station, school, farmhouse, henhouse, penthouse, greenhouse, and supermarket in the local area. I'm not sure whether that's the actual quote, but it sounds about right. Uh, Officer Tommy Lee Jones, however, knows that he saved the prison guard and that he knows he's not an average fugitive. Dr. Ford then runs away, but knows he can't escape them. So, no, but knows he can't escape them, so he trims his beard, hoping no one will see him. This works for a bit, but eventually Officer Jones catches up with him and chases him to the massive dam. 
This comes from nowhere. <laughs> you should come with me, Jones says. I didn't kill my wife, Dr. Ford says. It was the one-armed man. He doesn't really give Jones a chance to trust him and throws himself into water on the other side of the dam. Everyone else thinks he's dead, but not Officer Jones. He knows he's better than that, and he's probably survived. Dr. Ford survives and heads to a friend's <laughs> for a change of clothes before heading back to the very hospital that he works at. See, who picked up a prosthetic arm recently, hoping to catch his wife's killer and to clear his name. However, Tommy Lee Jones is an excellent tractor, and when Dr. Ford, who dressed as a cleaner, saves some kid's life... Sorry, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Well, we're gonna he's, have to he's, right a, he's an excellent tractor. Tracker. Oh, you said tractor. <laughs> Definitely said tractor. tractor. Definitely said tractor. You said he was an excellent tractor. He could be an excellent tractor. <laughs> brilliant, brilliant. Best bit. Yep. <laughs> Ford, who dressed as a cleaner, saves some kid's life. He nearly catches him. It becomes more evident that he's a good guy, though. When Dr. Ford finds the right guy, he knows, he knows him and realises that his wife wasn't the target. There's him and realizes that was badly written. God, what a dickhead. Uh, he was probably being, he probably because he removed his arm or something in surgery gone wrong. Uh, anyway, Tommy Lee Jones has figured this out and starts to chase the one-armed man who knows Jones is onto him, but I don't think Tommy Lee Jones knows it. They all head to this big dinner event where the one-armed man is working. He sees Jones, tries to take him out, but Dr. Ford stops him, and that's when Jones knows he wasn't really guilty. It was totally the one-armed man. <laughs> Dr. Ford carries on the, the rest of his life, clear of the murder of his wife. Officer Jones went on to fight aliens. <laughs> yeah. Wow. That's Incredible. all I remember about I mean, there's, there's, a, there's a lot. There's a lot missing. Yeah, I'm sure there is. But I'm going to tell you right now, if I'd have done Flight of the Navigator, it would have been a lot shorter. <laughs> this is why I didn't do it. Either. Yeah, yeah. I don't remember anything about that film. Uh, so personal highlights was uh, doing hospital. Doing hospital. <laughs> yeah. Excellent tractor. Yeah. Excellent tractor. <laughs> Yeah, and also describing quite quite significant detail the sort of the most well known scene in the film, and then utterly missing out the iconic line, which is "I don't care." I don't care. Oh yeah, I didn't kill yeah. my wife. I don't, I don't care. care. Yeah, I mean, if I'd have watched it, I'd have known that. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, his wife was played by Sailor Ward. Yeah, that's what I said, wasn't it? Yeah, something. 90s <laughs> McLady. Some, some 90s actress. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Excellent. I haven't seen The Fugitive in so long. No, it made uh, me want to watch it. It's such a good film. made me want to watch it, and I don't think I did it justice. It's, it's a uh, bus. It's a bus crash. Yes, but it's a train that runs into the bus. Is it? Because I remember seeing the, the, <clears throat> the, uh, the how they did it with the CGI for... It must have been about 20 times on some channel. Mm. And it's the Harrison Ford on, like a, on, a, on a wire, and then the, the CGI... Shows the, the bus break and it's the CGI's of the train going into the bus. 1993 as well. There you go. Excellent. Snuck into it, Phil. Dr. Ford. Mm-hmm. Agent <laughs> Jones. The problem that I got confused towards the end was, like, well, people think that when I, if, if, if I slip up even once and say Dr. Jones, because I really wanted to, people would think I'm talking about Harrison Ford, because obviously Indiana Jones. Dr. Jones. Exactly, yeah. So, But I, luckily I didn't. And luckily that read really, really well. I don't. I luckily, think, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was perfect, really, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Luckily, <laughs> yeah. Bloody marvelous, yeah. amazing. <laughs> this man, my up, Russ. Okay. <clears throat> Basic so, Instinct two. <laughs> very similar. Hang on. <laughs> Something terminated because I thought, like, I thought I knew this film really well, and then it occurs to me that actually I haven't seen this probably since I was in primary school. No, same. And it's one of those things you just know from all the references. Really? Yeah. I That's actually, a long I time. I actually watched Terminator 2 for ages. Such a good film. It's really good. Yeah. It's really good. As you're about to hear. In this. <laughs> yeah. 
absolutely perfect novelization. <coughs> oh, I'm going to get comfy for this. So it's the early 90s in LA. You can tell because there's always loads of bits of newspaper and fires in barrels and alleyways, not like they have now. Things go all swirly with some unconvincing lighting effects, although it does do that thing where there's like a circular bit cut out of the fence and the road, which is, is quite cool. And they're standing in the middle is a naked evil robot. But he's robot <laughs> naked, so it's like metal and shiny instead of balls and things. <laughs> oh no, an evil robot, says the unlucky cop who is nearby, unluckily. Stabby time, says the robot, and totally stabs him. Then he goes all gloopy and turns into the cop. But he's not the cop, he's a robot. Are you following? Just about. <laughs> so a bit later, somewhere nearby, another swirly thing, and this time, hot naked dude appears. Ah, oh, nips, I'm naked, he shouts, and runs off into a store. <laughs> he finds some trousers and puts them on without putting any pants on first, but this is a survival situation. No, wait, that's, that's the first film. This guy doesn't even give a shit about being naked, but then he is totes hench. He's also a robot. <laughs> He goes up to some era-appropriate bikers. Good evening, friend. You seem to be in need of assistance. Could I or my associates offer you any help, clothing, food, transportation, anything like that, says one of the bikers. <laughs> Naked robot dude breaks his arm, but nothing much worse than that because he is the good guy. He takes some clothes and a bike and heads away looking totally bitching. <laughs> it's the next day. John Connor plugs his Nintendo Switch into an ATM and nicks loads of money because he's clever but also a bad boy who doesn't give a shit about the man. He's playing something totally retro at the arcade when the bad robot cop turns up and starts being a totes dick. Surprise, motherfucker, shouts the good robot as he jumps in through a window, waving some roses around, except they're not roses, they're a shotgun. He shoots the bad robot a few times, doing that cool spinny reload thing, but it doesn't work. Run away, he shouts to John. Way ahead of you, mate, says John, already buggering off at top whack on his motorbike. He goes down into the LA River, as this is a film set in LA, and therefore it's compulsory to have a scene set there, even though in real life it's actually quite hard to get into the LA River, and there's not all that much of it that would be any good for driving around looking all cool anyway. Most of it's underground, or just the normal river. Phew, that was close, he says to himself. I just hope nobody slow-mos off that overpass in a fuck-off massive truck or anything. <laughs> the bad robot slow-mos off the overpass in a fuck-off massive truck. Oh, ball, says John. But it's okay, because Good Robop has turned up in... Um... Hang on, hang on, I've got to stop you there. You said Robop. Robop. Yeah, he's a robot. <laughs> he's a robot. Good Robop has turned up in a, in a car, or no, he's on a bike. Yeah, he's on a bike, but a big cool one that makes John's little bike look all rubbish. <laughs> Boom, whispers the Good Robot, and the baddie's truck explodes. So that's it, I guess, says John. Time for a drink? But then, oh no, the bad robot just strolls out of the big fireball like some sort of prick. Run away again, says Good Robot. A bit later. I should probably get back to my house. My mum, brackets, not my real one, will be getting worried. Let's phone them first to check for any shady shit, says Good Robot. And they go to a payphone, even though you'd think a robot from the future would have built-in 4G or at least Wi-Fi so they can Skype. <laughs> at John's house, the phone rings. Sup, says his mum, brackets, not his real one. Mum, are you like legit and not a robot, asks John. For real, says his mum, brackets, not his real one. But then she goes all stretchy and stabs the dad in the head through his carton of juice. Oh, you pointy bastard, he says, dead. <laughs> the good robot pretends to be John and says something about a dog that tricks the bad robot. Your mum, brackets, not your real one, and dad, brackets, not your real one, are totes dead. We should bounce, he says. Bummer, says John. Okay, let's go get my mum, brackets, my real one. She's been going on about big old robots in the future for ages and has got locked up in an institution, but given the events of the last few hours, I think she might have been onto something. In the institution, it's all horrible and a bit one flew over the cuckoo's nesty. 
<laughs> Linda Hamilton is in there doing press-ups and looking a lot cooler than she did in the last film. <laughs> Mum, we're getting you out of here, says John. She sees the good robot and freaks out a bit as the last time she saw one of those that chased her relentlessly for days and then killed her baby daddy. But this one's okay. The other robot shows up. I think this is the bit <laughs> you where... You said he... robot. Oh, I love it. <laughs> like Zoidberg. <laughs> oh, my it. best friend, Robert. <laughs> So I think this is the bit where he pretends to be Floor and stabs that guy getting coffee. And he goes all melty to get through some bars and his gun gets stuck, which is quite a cool touch. Then he chases them away again. Sometime around here, good robot and John go all dad I never had and start bonding and saying hasta la vista and stuff. (laughs) Next, they go hassle this Mark Zuckerberg type guy because Linda Hamilton has a bad dream about swing. He's the guy who creates Skynet, which is sort of like a psycho Alexa with access to military hardware. <laughs> Linda rocks up at his house and shoots him a bit, but she can't shoot him in front of his kids because she's, you know, a goodie. And then John and Good Robot turn up and he's all like, I'm sorry my mum brackets my real one shot you, but the thing you're working on drops a total nugget on the human race in like 10 years, so stop it. <laughs> the Good Robot peels his arm a bit to show he's like for real a robot and the computer guy's all, fuck, he peeled his arm. And he realises that he have to destroy his work before the world gets totally dicked on by smart fridges with nuclear weapons or whatever it is. <laughs> So they go to his office and delete everything, but the cops show up while he's still emptying the recycle bin and it goes a bit shooty. There's a really good bit where the good robot hoses down all the cops with a minigun without actually hurting anyone. Also, bad robot jumps on a helicopter and sort of oozes in through the windshield because he wanted to do an awesome move as well. Next, they all leg it to a steelworks, apart from the computer guy because the computer guy is dead. Then there's a (laughs) big old robot fight and good robot gets impaled on a thing and dies. Bad robot turns into John's mum, brackets his real one to fuck with him. And John's all like, ah, you're not my real mum, brackets my real one. I forgot (laughs) the bit where bad robot gets liquid nitrogen all over him and shatters only to melt and reform like an absolute badass. That's a a good bit. That's a good bit. (laughs) Then it turns out good robot isn't dead and he rolls up on a conveyor belt with a grenade launcher and a bad attitude. He blows up bad robot who falls into a big tub of melted metal, which totally kills him like for real this time. Everyone is super happy and John is all, yay, I love my new metal dad. But then the good robot <laughs> goes and ruins it by pointing out that if anyone got hold of him, then the whole apocalypse caused by pissed off smart speakers or whatever it is was back on. <laughs> so he has to go jump in the molten metal too, but he's less dramatic about it than the bad robot. He just, <laughs> just does the thumbs up at the end just to make sure that everyone watching is crying. So it's all okay for now until the next films come out and start fucking with the timeline. Linda gets in a car, has a chat with a kid about the weather and drives off looking all cool. The end. That is the best reimagining of Terminator 2 no, I've ever much what happened, heard. It? Yeah, pretty, pretty much. much. Yeah, I don't think I missed any important bits. But that was actually pretty much what I happened. Had to, <laughs> I had to pracy down the emotional core of the movie to one paragraph about bonding with the robot, but that's, that's not really what you're yeah, looking for, is it? Yeah, my metal dad. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well, then you go. I also like the uh, bit at the end with the. But uh, the the good robot has to go into the metal, but is less dramatic about it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah not that <laughs> nonsense. Yeah, just, just calm Austrian dignity. Yes. Ah, <laughs> <sighs> that well, was good. Ah, oh, well done, everyone. Yeah. Did you have one more, Duncan? Yeah, I I remember on a ferry to Ireland, and probably on the way back, I watched two films: uh, Outbreak and Judge Dredd. And so I thought, I haven't seen Outbreak for ages. Which, which, so... which Dread are we talking? Hmm? Which oh, Judge Dread? The, the Stallone one. The awful one. Yeah. Nice. I, I've seen that. I saw that three times. I actually think that uh, movie was amazing. Hmm? I think I had that on DVD. Yeah. What, Outbreak? 
no, no Outbreak Judge, is amazing. Judge Dredd. Outbreak is, is, is good. Is Rob Schneider in Judge Dredd? Or am yeah. I making that as, up? That's like the comic sidekick. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You think, first time you hear about this Judge Dredd movie, you go, who's the comic sidekick? Comic <laughs> sidekick. Yeah. I hope he takes his helmet off, because yeah. that's what he's famous for. Yeah. Yeah, he yeah. is. Yeah. No, none, none or all of those questions. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Are you ready for Outbreak? From what I could remember. Out, outbreak. So I, I, outbreak. I think I remember this film quite well, but I might be wrong. Is it is it the one that I'm thinking of? Yeah. Uh, oh, I do remember it. Though. <laughs> yeah, the one that the the town in is Morgan Freeman. US. In it? Anyway, right. Yeah, I do. Morgan Freeman is in it. Yeah. Um, this is a parable story about hemorrhagic virus and a capuchin monkey and their adventures in the USA. It is also <laughs> a story about how love can be found in a hazmat suit. <laughs> a mysterious. Uh, we start in Africa. A mysterious illness affects a village in Africa, and it's clear it is a zoonosis from a capuchin monkey. Uh, Dustin Hoffman is there. He's not. There being disease medical control specialist, Sirius Hoffman face. The monkey is darted, Hoffman. and we see it getting exported by boat illegally. Due to a bite, it infects one of the crew who dies and is put in the freezer. We see the monkey ends up in a pet store. Uh, Maine. Rene Russo is a disease specialist. They are in a lab doing science when there is an issue with a hazmat suit and they have to get the emergency vaccine out. Russo and Dustin Hoffman meet and talk about the incident and about how terrible it would be and how unprepared the country is if some major disease outbreak happens. Meanwhile, in Midwest uh, America, or maybe just West Coast where there are trees, the monkey and the store owner share a beer. Idiot. This guy is a bit of a mid-twenties kind of scruff, but seems nice enough. Kind of like us. Maybe. Probably would enjoy this podcast. He de- develops Do you still think sniffle. of us as mid-twenties? Hmm? Well, yeah, but when we were in our mid-twenties, oh, okay. he was a bit like us. Um, anyway, he's a bit like us, but maybe a bit younger. Uh, he develops some sniffle and sneezes at a customer, who we then see goes to the cinema. By laughing, she then spreads more saliva and the disease spreads Scene changes and suddenly the pet store owner is really poorly and suddenly collapses. He is rushed to hospital and put in intensive care. Uh, his girlfriend follows suit shortly. Soon, more cases are being rushed in as the first patient dies, bleeding from everywhere, not before he has infected more. No one knows the disease, so the CDC and Russo are called in. Hoffman comes as well, and soon the town is in lockdown. Measures are put in place that make the place resemble a play town, and soon anyone who might be symptomatic are taken away after their doors are painted with an X to indicate someone possibly diseased. At this point, we follow one of the family's journey and the mother of the family, who is led away by folk in hazmat suits, and he isn't even allowed to kiss her children goodbye. She's in tears and tells them she will see them soon. She'll be back soon and once she is better. Note, we do follow her... Uh, uh, her uh, treatment and that as they're trying to find people who are resistant we see her blood smear and they look at it but she's not resistant so we assume she dies well she does die Russo at this point is busy looking for anyone who is immune. They are doing all the blood tests possible. Hoffman has somehow found patient zero, the Taiwanese or Chinese sailor kept in a freezer and they are working hard to prevent the spread Hoffman has gone to Morgan Freeman about political solution, getting the military in which is led by the possibly villainous Donald Sutherland. So the town is in shutdown and soon it is apparent Sutherland wants to firebomb the place. 
Hoffman is continuing to look for control and cure. Russo and him form some kind of romantic spark. One of Russo's colleagues shows lazy lab practice and somehow fucks up opening uh, a centrifuge and getting sam uh, fucks up opening it and getting samples out of a centrifuge, becoming infected. Whilst trying to treat him or take samples, Russo stabs herself and get or gets stabbed by a needle, and then Phil becomes infected just as her colleague dies horribly. The death toll is rising. The bodies aren't buried, but placed in a barn and burned. All hope is lost. Rooster now focuses on trying to help as she can. Hoffman is distraught and promises to find the monkey so that a vaccine or cure can be developed. An infomercial is shown on TV asking folk to look out for a capuchin monkey. Let the authorities know and stay away from it. Hoffman then learns that they are planning on using daisy cutters on the town to raise it to the ground. Someone sees the infomercial and calls to say his daughter is his or her daughter is feeding this monkey every day. Eek! Hoffman also learns that there was a vaccine and that the US military knew about this due to their time in the African village where this came from. Shock horror. Hoffman gets a team out of the woods. Uh, out, <laughs> sorry. Hoffman gets a team out to the woods in Montana, maybe, and they tranquilize the monkey. They rush it back and Hoffman works tirelessly to develop the vaccine. Russo by now is really ill and is in a hospital bed. Hoffman in has gear. He learns that a plane has been launched and rushes to take over a radio or a helicopter or something. Soldiers try to stop him, but he has full Hoffman face on and grabs a, and grabs a pilot and the uh, helicopter. He pleads with the pilot not to bomb uh, the town, not to do this, that he can stop the disease and give everyone a chance. The pilot aborts the mission and drops, uh, detonates the bomb over water. Somehow, in less than 24 hours, a vaccine and cure has been created, not tested at all or verified, only tested on Russo, who recovers. Hoffman shows he has been inoculated and they can go off uh, happy ever after, uh, ever after. It is a cautionary tale. That's it. Done. Amazing. I'd Excellent. completely forgotten that it was fucking Dustin Hoffman in that film and Rene Russo Rene as well. Yeah. Kevin Spacey's in it as well, but we what? don't talk about that, yeah. We don't talk about him anymore. And yeah, at the end they're all like, "Don't drop the bomb! I'm gonna drop the bomb! Don't drop the bomb!" Isn't it? Yeah. A, isn't it a thermobaric weapon, a fuel yeah, air bomb, a daisy cutter? Oh uh, yeah, yeah. So basically, yeah, the I was one, right about the daisy cutter. Woo! Yeah, it basically sucks all the. It uses the oxygen in the air to spread mm. the firestorm. Amazing, clever, clever stuff. Uh, the actual plot is, um, I got the intro completely wrong. They are in an African village, uh, but they kill everyone because they want to use the. Uh, it's not called Ebola, but it was at the time of the Ebola outbreak, and it's called Montoba or something, Motoba. And uh, sounds so made up. Yeah, it's the, the Gbola virus. It is definitely um, all to do with Ebola, and mm. it it had quite a mark effect on me. I remember it. I was about to say, well, because I was terrified of diseases movie, after yeah. that. And also, Ebola is the one thing that scares me, like more than most things scare me. Only two things scare me, yeah. and one is nuclear war. Is it? Yeah. Really? Yeah. It's up there, but I think I'd, I'm more scared of something like Ebola, because nuclear war, get hit by a nuclear bomb. Well, that's, that's one of the two things that scare me. Yeah, yeah. What's the second thing? Carnies. Carnies. <laughs> <laughs> Circus smoke. <laughs> Nomads, you know. <laughs> Small hands. <laughs> You see the, the look on your face while you're just desperately hoping for someone to ask you what the other thing was. I can't believe we both thought the same. <laughs> oh, 
That's so funny. Just <laughs> because no one reacted when I went, only two things scare me, and one is nuclear war. And no one said anything. I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> you started having an earnest conversation about it. <laughs> I was like, bollocks. I've missed my trick. Oh, that was good. So, oh, well yeah, done, fellas. Got some films to catch up on? Yeah. Well, I don't feel like I need to anymore. <laughs> <laughs> in conclusion, we can, we if we went back the to the 1950s, to the we are going to by getting it wrong. Say <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> so again, we are um, In conclusion, if we go back to the 1950s, we are nailing writing uh, writing all these films. Oh yeah, definitely. bang on. I mean, to be fair though, like I mean, I think I'm not sure how big a film outbreak was, but it certainly you know it had some star power in it. Um, Dan, you did. Uh, what did you do? Oh, The Fugitive. Fugitive. Massive That's Oscar huge. winner. Um, T2. Very, very, very big film. Huge. Basic Instinct. I'm not entirely sure how big it was. It was probably relative. I mean, to be fair, we're all pretty quids in here. Yeah, it's Jurassic Park. School. Massive film. Mm. Fucking do, hell. Do, do, we are... do, do. Oh, That's how I'm making my money. Just going around whistling that and claiming that and well, then uh, copywriting it. Dan and, and I came up with with lyrics to that didn't it it was like it's jurassic <laughs> park not triassic park and that's as far as it went la 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 <laughs> and that's the it rest of the song. well there we go there is there is actually quite a funny uh i think it's college humor or uh animation of uh the various epoch type um parks which is is quite funny if you like that kind of thing so ordovician and pre-Cambrian or post-Cambrian and then stuff like that. It's mm-hmm. quite hilarious. Excellent. Well, we'll take that on recommendation. Uh, so, that... <sighs> You're such an ass. <laughs> <laughs> so, well done, fellas. Well done, well done, well done. Uh, I think we've all uh, we've all learned something today. It's good practice. For I, think, I, think, I think we've all danced our own ballet yeah, today, yeah. haven't we? Uh, okay, so, as ever, Dan- 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 Duncan, thank you. Goodbye. You for it. Goodbye. You're very welcome. Russ, goodbye. Au revoir. Dan, goodbye. Bye, Tom. It'll be my from me. Goodbye. It'll be <laughs> fucking hell. It'll be goodbye from me. And don't forget, if you want to interact with us on social media, our tag is at TMTOOH. And our sister pod, Theatrical Cut, is... Theatrical Cut Pod. And that's it. Yeah. Well done, all. Good night. And on that note, let's cue the music. Let's. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Like now. Yeah. And wh- when I do that... Well done, Tom Can. When I do that... Yeah. You just, just cue the music. Yeah. Okay. Go. Cue the music. <laughs> <laughs>